Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net. Everyone, everyone's a critic com. Uh, we're on Facebook. Our handle is I Hate Critics. Uh, is it podcast or just I Hate Critics? Uh, um, you know, I, I, I think it's just I Hate Critics. I think critics. it's just I, I Hate know. Critics. It's Critics Pod everywhere else. Uh, yeah. You can listen to us and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all your podcatchers. I said Stitcher again. I haven't said that in a while. Uh, I don't think Stitcher exists anymore. Uh, no, it doesn't. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I just got the cadence and I just go with it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll read it on the air. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, I don't know if I've changed the name of that one yet. Um but if you do listen to us there, make sure to subscribe and uh, notify yourselves when a new episode comes out. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to support the podcast. We have several bonus episodes. Most recently, Friday the 13th Part 2 uh, commentary track that Jeff and Sean did. You can only hear it there because even when we release it live, it'll get copyright get a copyright strike and you won't be able to hear it anyway. So uh, it's behind the paywall. Uh, but it is entertaining. Uh, Sean, where can people get your reviews? Uh, it's at uh, Podcast Sean on Twitter and, of course, on uh, geeks.media, horror.media. And uh, thanks to Dick's the musical, filthy.media. <laughs> and Jeff, hey, where- that's my drag name. <laughs> Jeff, where can people find you? Uh, my website is jefflasseter.com. I have uh, an Etsy shop. I have. T public. I just restarted my Patreon <laughs> myself. Um, nobody has subscribed. Nobody likes me, uh, which is understandable. Um, yeah, that's jefflasser.com has all my links. You were our only subscriber. If that makes you feel better. I don't know if you- <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Corey, I don't know if he still remembers that he's the subscriber. Uh, any news you want to go over, Sean? You know, it's weird. The the release date thing is kind of weird lately where we're getting these things where like movies are getting released without studios telling us. And I realize some of that has to do with the fact that they don't have any movie stars to promote their movies. But like, over the weekend, Freelance with John Cena and Alison Brie got released in theaters. It's a you know a forty million dollar action movie, and they didn't bother to tell anybody they were putting out it putting it out in theaters. And I got to know, what is the strategy with that? I mean, there's a movie coming out this Friday that is a David Duchovny, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. Meg Ryan back in the romantic comedy genre after however many years, and they've barely told anybody that they're doing this. I don't understand why the studios are choosing to do this. You can still promote movies. You can still buy commercials. You still can do that. That's, that's not against the SAG rules. So I don't understand why you're putting out movies and not promoting them. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, especially with the John Cena, Allison Bria, those are two relevant, popular actors. Uh, it also sounds like a Netflix movie. I haven't seen it. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I do know when it comes to advertising, everybody's trying to be more unique and trying to find their exact demographic and trying different strategies, but there appears to be no strategy behind 
either one of those two movies. It's, it's weird <clears throat> these days uh, in terms of advertising and advertising strategy. We, you know, one of our one of our fans, uh, Ian, on our Facebook page mentioned that he'd not seen any ads for the Marbles, and I'm, I'm like, how have you? Like, how is how is that movie? Uh, not 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 on him. I'm talking about Disney. Like, how have you managed to miss somebody who clearly you know pays a lot of attention to movies, and somehow he's not aware of your movie coming out? You're not doing a very good job with your targeted advertising. I will say though that I I had no idea there was a Five Nights at Freddy's movie coming out. My son knew though, and so they did a good job of hitting that demographic. Like, I never saw anything on it. I had to. Like, search it myself now granted i haven't been to the theater in five months as sean and i were talking about before the episode uh i had five free movie tickets to, <laughs> to <Death Report. laughs> uh but i mean that's a situation where they figured out how to you know market in a certain way without doing it the old-fashioned way so i don't know i'm sure it'll be a lot like this for the next couple of years so somebody figures it out see i see the trailers all the time. Yeah. But I don't watch, I don't watch TV. I, you know, rarely get advertised to accept in video games on my, uh, my phone or tablet. Um, and those are all political. So I don't know. I can't speak to it. I mean, I, I, I've seen the trailer for the Marvels probably 17 or 18 times over the last six months. And I saw the trailer for Fab Five Nights of I keep wanting to call it Fab Five Freddy. That's our age. I but I've seen the trailer for that a handful of times. Whenever I've seen a horror movie in the in the cinemas, and I um, think that's part but, of my problem is I haven't been in the cinemas because I'm not last seeing night, it on my own. Last night we were at um, dinner at the hotel for my job and. Five Nights at Freddy's was all over. It wasn't, it was just like on the displays, you know, it would come up every five or six ads, but it wasn't an, it wasn't the commercial for it. It was just the poster, you know, that said in theaters and on Paramount plus. So Peacock. (laughs) Sorry. I went and saw it in the theater on accident because I didn't know it was going to be. Idiot. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> they oh. made streaming and it still made $80 million over the weekend. Wow. Let's start with there then. You want to talk about Five Nights at Freddy's? Sure. I mean, we, you know, let's start with, let's talk about the, this product, this very popular uh, product that it is, because it's not a movie. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, uh, it's kind of amazing. And I don't know what the takeaway is. I mean, that you can open a movie this well while it's also available for streaming. I mean, it costs less to to subscribe to Peacock than it does to pay for a movie ticket. And people still paid for a movie ticket. And they went and they laughed and they cheered. And, uh, you know, the there were memes made and people complained that this crowd was worse than the... And I'm not, not to say that. I'm not saying they're worse. I'm saying that people were complaining about this crowd more than they complained about the Taylor Swift crowd uh, for all the noise that was being made. Uh, people were saying that the Five Nights at Freddy crowd were just obnoxious with their clapping and hooting and hollering and talking at a at a normal volume <laughs> above a normal volume while the movie was on. Uh, it's it's weird. I guess this is just one of those phenomenons, this Five Nights at Freddy's thing. So I'm not sure if it really is instructive in any way about uh, about the movie business or about 
uh, you know, movie releases in general. I'm, I don't know what to take. I don't know what to make of it. Um, should I should I bother describing the plot? Uh, there's a guy. He works at Five Nights at Freddy's as a security guard. He, uh, the Five Nights at Freddy characters are kids who are possessing these animatronic mascots for this restaurant. Uh, they That's kill people. <laughs> it's not open. Yeah, but it's got it's all the like, lights. Everything's ready to go. Open. They might as well be open, but it's not open. It's not open because they a bunch of kids went missing at Five Nights at uh, Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria, and so, but they don't want anybody to have the technology, I guess, of their animatronics. So they keep a security guard on hand. Supposedly, that's the the justification, I guess. But they also need security guards there to be killed uh, by Freddy and his group. <laughs> I, I'm assuming. I'm just guessing because this plot is pretty much nonsense. Uh, the Josh Hutcherson is the main character, and he has these—he has this thing where he tries to dream uh, to find out, you know, who killed his, who, who kidnapped his little brother when he was a kid. So he tries to have these like dreams where he can see who the person is that did it. Um, and it's the same person who killed like five kids at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria years earlier. Now they possess the animatronic. This is really dumb. Guys, I don't know what else to say. Well, yeah, and I, from what I understand, I've never played the game. I didn't even really know it was even a game. I just seen the the animals that like or the animatronic stuffed animal, whatever you want to call them. At I don't know Spencer's or various stores like that mm-hmm. or online. Uh, but according to my son, who I don't know if he's ever actually played it, but it, all the game is is you just got to survive five nights as a security guard. And this, that's just, there's really nothing, there's no backstory to the, the game, uh, as far as I know, uh, <clears throat> it's just surviving. And it's apparently, it's apparently very popular among people who write fan fiction about it. I think so, yeah. Uh, and, I, yeah, and I don't I mean, I don't have a problem with this movie existing, because, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, when Masters of the Universe came out, I want ape shit, I was excited, they finally made a movie for me it's just that everything is ip now <laughs> we're just about I, everything and that's yeah. the more frustrating part i think i would care less about that 20 years ago uh but now and i, don't, I guess that doesn't bother me so much on this one this one probably should be able to exist for that age group i mean you have no business watching it sean there's no reason a critic should ever have to see this movie <laughs> but I get that. Now, if they make seven of them, okay, now you're, now it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Well, they're definitely going to make another one. Oh, for they sure. There's no, I mean, there's like, there's <laughs> no doubt after the box office and the ending, there's just no doubt that there's going to be at least a couple more. Right. Did you see this? I did. Um, uh, I was interested like the first half. Because I, I, I've never played the game. Uh, my nephew was really into it a few years ago. And I said, what do you want for Christmas? He goes, I want a drawing of uh, Freddy. So I did one. And then they put it in a drawer because his little sister was a, was afraid of it. Um, I guess that says something about my art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, I was kind of into the first half. I have a job that like is very stressful and it's very, very long hours. So I was kind of paying attention but the other half of me was just trying to catch up on emails and stuff like that and 
So about halfway through, I kind of went, oh, okay, you know, I'd look at it every once in a while. And I almost missed the end of it, end of it. Cause I was just kind of tuned out. Um, now, other movies I watched that I've seen before this weekend, I was, you know, pretty invested in like Halloween three. Um, so I, I guess that just says that I guess it's not for me, even though I do love a good horror movie at Halloween. And I think that's probably that that to me explains the box office. Right. People want to go to a horror movie around Halloween. I would, you know, I, I watched Killers of the Flower Moon and I'll tell you what, I would have much rather watched a 90 minute scary movie in the theater on Halloween weekend. Not that I didn't like Killers of the Flower Moon. We'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, that's that was the mood I was in this weekend. And I probably would have jumped at the chance to go see a new Friday the 13th or something like that. I mean, I enjoyed watch. I mean, Sean mentioned the crowd. I actually enjoyed the crowd because they were in it, into it, and all the hooting and hollering. And I, my son doing the same thing. I actually thought that was kind of neat. But the movie itself, I couldn't even really. There's logic problems with it from almost Jump Street. So it's not even worth and you're an idiot for even saying there's logic problems so. <laughs> it's, i just kind of sat back and let it happen but he's watched it like two or three times and now since we've seen it so it, it's definitely going to be for his age group and five years older and five years younger probably yeah my niece who i've gotten into horror recently she said oh i want to see that movie and i said it's streaming she goes yeah i want to see it in the theater i like hearing so, that very least but well, i mean but the problem is, i don't want it in the theater <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that though is is that this is not a movie that that is asking anything of anyone this is not a movie that you're going to walk away from going man i can't wait to go back to the movie theater. uh yeah. there's nothing there's nothing special or or interesting about this other than the i guess the experience you have with your friends watching it maybe I guess that could be enough to maybe bring you back to the movie theater, but most movies are not this kind of experience. You're not really, you're asked to please not do this kind of reacting when you're at an <laughs> actual movie. Uh, you know, if you want to attend this product like this and treat it like a football game, this particular movie is kind of the thing for that, or, or even the Eras Tour, not to mock the Eras Tour, but like it invites you to that type of reaction, which is fine. But if you go to another movie and you act like this, please don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to the to the two ladies at uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> you had talkers and Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh my god, they were eighty, probably eighty years old, and oh, they were just yeah. talk. They were just. And I was, I kept shushing them, and I hate to be a Karen, but. Oh my God! Shut up, lady. I went to the ten o'clock showing on Sunday morning or whatever, somewhere in that vicinity, and you get that senior <laughs> crowd, and that's what they do. They yeah, sit and that they was talk I was there. Oh really? I was there. Yeah, the two hi. ladies that yeah, the two <laughs> ladies that were in like row B <clears throat> that came in an hour into the movie, and then were, what's going on? I can't tell, Hazel. <laughs> tell me what's happening. Well, in fairness, I went a couple of days. Be- I saw it twice in the theaters, but I f- was oh, wow. going to fall asleep, so I had to leave. And since I had the free five movies, I decided, you know what? I need to get back. I got to go to work. It's still an hour and a half left, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and I have a 40-minute drive home. Let's- I'll just come back Sunday morning. 
Um, yeah, I, movies in the morning are not, especially when that attract a senior crowd. Are, that was, well, we'll get to that later. But it was <laughs> packed. I was shocked at how packed it was. Yeah, that was really busy. Uh, let's move on to Dick's the Musical. Uh, yes, uh, Dick's the Musical is a very, um, very R-rated movie. Uh, but not in the way you think it's going to be, which I appreciate. This is not necessarily a movie filled with dicks. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> the dicks of the title are uh, the writers and lead actors, uh, Aaron Jackson, Jackson and Josh Sharp, who introduced themselves as uh, gay men who will be playing alpha males in this movie. <laughs> who, who just They love dicking down the ladies. That's what they love to do more than anything. Yep. Totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> uh they are they're alpha males they're the top salesmen at their uh at, at their vroomba factory that they that they work for but they work for two different branches so they've never seen each other and that's interesting because they're supposed to be twins just go with it they're not twins but they and they don't look like anything alike <laughs> but they're twins that's what the story that's what the story is <laughs> uh they they meet each other finally and uh realize that they're twins and uh, they decide that they're going to pull a whole parent trap thing to try and get their parents back together. Their parents are played by Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane, uh, both of whom are just completely insane. Uh, Megan Mullally claims her character is 96 years old and that her vagina fell off. <laughs> and the vagina comes back multiple times and makes an appearance. Oh, my God. And it's very funny each time. Nathan Lane uh, is going to cause a problem for their plan to get them back together because he's decided to come out as gay at his at his advanced age. He's now deciding to come out uh, and, and he's made his commitment in life to his sewer boys. He's got a pair of sewer boys that live in his apartment. Sewer boys are just these tiny little demon looking puppets <laughs> that he feeds from his own mouth. It's <laughs> do they have a. The, do they exist outside this movie? Because they were listed in the credits, like in the trailer that I saw. <laughs> I, think that's just, I think that's just part of the marketing of the movie. Okay. I don't think they exist anywhere else. Uh, uh, Megan Mistelian is their boss at the, at the Vroomba factory who's forced to fire them after they take two weeks off just to do a parrot trap. <laughs> she, she gets a very funny song. Everybody gets a really funny song in this. Uh, <laughs> uh, the movie is hilarious. It is so wrong. Uh, it is so so wrong, all the way through, beginning to end. It, it's just, I mean, at one point, Megan Mullally throws her vagina at someone, to, and so it can attack it and, and take them down. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, that's the kind of movie we're talking about here. Uh, uh, the two, the twin brothers fall in love eventually. So there's that. <laughs> Jesus. It's it's insane and I've not spoiled anything. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. It is it is you know, every, you know how everybody says that stupid shit about oh you can't make uh, politically incorrect or offensive movies anymore. You totally can. This movie has a song called Faggot in it. <laughs> so there you go. Oh my god, a song about me. Yeah. It's the title of the song. Um like there's just this movie is offensive but it's offensive in a way that is because it's not punching down it's not like attacking people who are you know 
vulnerable people. It's making the subjects of the movie the joke, the dicks, the titular dicks are the re- they're the ones being made fun of. They're the a- they're the assholes who, who are the subject of the joke. And that's how you do this kind of joke. It's very simple, really. Yeah. And it came out the same time old dads came out. <laughs> oh, wow. I did not. Well, I was not going to no- sit through that. And I did sit through that. I'm sorry. Nice. Okay. So full disclosure, while Sean was talking about this movie, I wanted to see if it was still going to be in theaters this weekend. And it's not, which disappoints me greatly. But Five Nights at Freddy's starting on Friday has three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, seventeen showtimes on Friday. Mm. So do with that information what you will, but uh Killers of the Flower Moon has three. Well yeah, but that's, now, granted that's, I know it's three and a half hours I was long. Say, that's a but... full day's worth of showings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sad. I'm sad about dicks going away. That that movie deserved. Oh. But they gave it one screening in our area, and it was at nine fifty five at night. The late show that was to be for freelance, they gave to dicks, and that's it. That's the only screening it got. Is nine fifty five at night? For After a- the night I had on Saturday, I really wish I had just gone to dicks. You would have been. You would have been very happy. <laughs> you would have really well, loved it, Jeff. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Me going into a theater for dicks. Uh, not the first time that's happened. Um, yeah, yeah. This is this is right up your alley. I think I think you would have absolutely loved this. And you still got one opportunity tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, I have to be at work at five o'clock in the morning. There, oh. a nine fifty-five showing is not going to happen. That's a bummer. Yeah. Although that's going to change soon because I will definitely be finding other employment. <laughs> It is an A24 film. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be able to see it streaming somewhere fairly soon. A24 continues to be the best. Did you guys uh, read that news about A24 looking for IP? Yeah, but yeah. I imagine they'll just, I imagine they'll do it and then just do it really, really well. That's that. Yeah, everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe A24. I'm like, dude, if A24 is picking something up and it's IP, it'll be good IP. So just sit down and shut up. Just don't pick up a Marvel type thing where it's 400 movies and it consumes your whole platform. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't care because then you can't. I don't know. Nobody can make that work the whole time. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> what are you talking about? Marvel can. They've never made a yeah. mistake. Marvel's the reason why we get Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> none of us wanted to shit on age of ultron and all those store movies that were bad other than ragnarok and here we are more ips (laughs) anyway (laughs) freelance (laughs) you don't want to mention old dads oh it's if you like bill burr it's a stand-up comedy routine and that's it (laughs) that's it it's fine i mean it's it it tricks you It, it will bring just like bill burr does he'll get that crowd that thinks they're anti-woke and then you know his whole thing is he tr- pretends to be anti-woke and then ends up being well i'm kind of an idiot you know that's his whole shtick it's always been the way he does it and the movie is the same thing it's entertaining enough but it's not you know it's not that mark Wahlberg, will ferrell movie that you hated so much uh <laughs> 
okay. At the same time, there's. I mean, you got to be. A, it's if you like Bill Burr, you'll like it. If you don't, it's mm-hmm. over the top. Uh, it makes fun of woke culture, but it also makes fun of the people that make fun of woke culture. Woke culture. So it, <laughs> it's it's kind of the perfect uh, throwaway Netflix movie. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, let's go to freelance because it's. I'm not good at this stuff. <laughs> Uh, Freelance is a weird release, a $40 million action movie that they told no one about, uh, starring John Cena and Allison Bree. The story goes that Cena is uh, a soldier who's also, uh, he, he's also, he went to law school and he got his law degree, but then he decided he wanted to be a soldier. So he became a soldier and got into special forces. And then his, uh, his unit got shot down in some South American company country and he got injured and he had to go back to being a lawyer and he's miserable being a lawyer and a dad and a husband and so after a time he decides you know what uh christian slater uh my friend who's also in the military and now runs a, a blackwater style company give me a job on christian slater gives him a job as a security guard traveling down to the same south american co- country where uh he nearly died uh, accompanying a journalist played by Allison Bree who's going to interview the dictator of that country who uh, Cena's character believes is the one who shot him down all those years ago. Uh, he's being set up naturally to uh, you know, try and kill this dictator, but the dictator, surprise, surprise, isn't actually the bad guy because Martin Kasakis is in this movie. So, of course, Martin Kasakis is the bad guy. He's always the bad guy. Uh, he's a... He's a South African mercenary who's been hired by a different country to overthrow this South American country for its resources or whatnot. It doesn't matter. This movie's just incredibly basic and not very good. It's also just incredibly sloppy. Pierre, Pierre Morel directed this. He's not a very good director. Uh, he's really there's there's so much like there are spatial issues with this movie where you're trying to figure out where characters are in relation to the action taking place. And I don't know if it's the direction or the editing. One of them is really, really bad because you can't tell where anybody is in many of these action scenes. And that's really becomes distracting uh, throughout. Not a lot of people will notice that. Like a lot of people who are just passively watching a movie may not notice that, but you're going to be irritated by it and not even realize you're, you're being irritated by it. <laughs> uh, and, and that's one of the things about bad movies that people really don't realize is that there's sometimes there's, they're very slickly made to the point where you, you know it's not good, but you don't know why it's not good. <laughs> and that's why this is not good. It's because of the, it doesn't have any good spatial reasoning. It sounds like you watched it on full screen and not widescreen. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> like, remember back in the day when you'd watch your VHS tapes on full screen and then you get the widescreen where you put the black bars at the top. It sounds like in the theater it was cut for full screen. <laughs> I don't, maybe, who knows? They wouldn't care if it was. You know, they, well, they, and, they don't care. And the audience that would enjoy something like that is definitely the audience for a movie like this. <laughs> I'm going to pause and take the batteries out, and then we can go to Killers if that works for you guys. Yeah, sure. I would take, I would probably take Freelance just slightly over five nights. Yikes. All right. So, what would you take over Sean Freelance or Five Nights? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Killers of the would, Flower Moon. 
Killers of the Flower Moon is the latest movie from director Martin Scorsese and uh, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and uh, a young a young woman who's um, kind of making a, a splash right now uh, in terms of uh, being whose name, of course, is going to escape me. As Lily I Gladstone. Lily Gladstone, uh, in in a in a story that's based off of a, a very true story about what happened to the Osage people in Oklahoma uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is returning to uh, is is going to live with his uncle uh, Robert De Niro, who's going to give him work and and uh, help him get back on his feet following World War One. Uh, he's returning to an Oklahoma that is uh, quite changed because they've just, they've hit oil there and then. The the uh, Native Americans, the Osage people who are living there, are now quite rich and are being uh, taken advantage of, slowly fleeced by uh, Robert De Niro's character, who is uh, setting them up to essentially just steal their land, steal their oil as much as he possibly can. And uh, and one of his schemes is to have you know people that he trusts marry into uh, these Osage families and you know get control of their oil rights. Uh, and it's an insidious plan that also involves just, you know, killing a lot of people, uh, but strategically so, you know, it, whereas happening in the background of this movie, you've got uh, Black Wall Street in Oklahoma that is just burned to the ground. That is an immediate, you know, genocide that they do uh, just to get just to get rid of those people and their and their wealth uh, here. It's much more it's 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 a genocide, but it's a different kind of genocide. It's a slower acting genocide, but you're watching it happen and and it's this this inextricable thing. You're watching it, and you wish you you can see it, and they can kind of see what's happening, and yet you can't. It's unpreventable uh, the way it, the way it's playing out. Uh, it, this is a powerful film. It's got so many great performances. Robert De Niro hasn't been this good in years. He is so incredible in this movie. He's just so he's so ingratiating, but it, it's. It's obvious to us that he's being disingenuous, but it can't. It wouldn't be obvious to anybody who didn't know, you know, what we know. We're we're seeing him be disingenuous. We're seeing him lay out this plan and then gladhand his way through, you know, being around all of these Osage characters and you know, befriending them and and being kind to them. And it is just, it is so hard to watch at times because it is so. You you want to scream and try and warn them, and you can't. Uh, it's so powerful, and the direction is so skilled. This is Scorsese being so incredibly patient and thoughtful. Everything has a point and a purpose, and it just plays out so in a way that it just there was no other way for it to play out. The whole series of scenes between Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Lily Gladstone as she becomes ill, how that plays out is is shocking and terrifying and DiCaprio is playing such a a varied character at once that he's a dupe he's also kind of a criminal he's also kind of a you know a, a willing participant as a criminal but he's also not he also seems to really love his wife and that dichotomy is really strong and it really it, it really drives so much of this movie uh in in a way that he does love his wife but he's also you know, trying to cover up a number of crimes that he's he himself has committed. Yeah, Jeff, do you want to go? <sighs> yeah, the what you said about De Niro is absolutely right. Um, I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on Leonardo DiCaprio, just in general. Like 
he's he's never my favorite actor in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, I was it was Margot Robbie for me. She just leapt off the screen. Um, the Revenant, it was the bear. Um, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lily Gladstone was the absolute best character best actor in this movie if she's not nominated i'll just i'll throw a fit like i did about pearl um robert de niro what you said is absolutely right he he benefits from a director with a vision and a hand you know not somebody who's gonna make you know johnny knoxville movies with him or whatever um he was he he this movie was so frustrating for me because I wanted to yell at the screen. I wanted to be like those two old ladies in the front, but at the screen and you just see you know what's happening, you see it. You see that Leonardo DiCaprio is he knows what's going on, but he doesn't want to know and he just loves his uncle so much that he just goes along with whatever. And when they are slipping the uh, drug into the insulin and he goes, it's just going to slow her down. Right. And he knows, he knows. And it just, it makes me so angry that we did, you know, we as a people did this, but that, you know, he almost got away with it in a way he did um, because he was pardoned and, you know, it just, it's, it was so frustrating Watching Lily Gladstone, she just she had the look on her face like she knew everything that was going on. She knew what was going to happen. She knew as soon as her sister, her first sister was killed, she just knew. She just knew shit, and she had that look on her face from the from the jump that I know that I know that these people are trying to take everything from me, but I'm powerless to stop it. Mm-hmm. And that that serene but sad look that she had in the first half of the movie that she was in, I just, I you know, you're like your heart breaks for her because you know what's happening, you know yeah. that she's going to lose everything and everyone, and if she had died, I like I I I'd not read the book, I knew nothing about this before I watched the movie, but I was convinced that she was going to die. And had she died, I would have probably like thrown my popcorn at the screen or something. Um, The I like a I don't mind a long movie as long as it's not a slow movie. You know, if it's packing stuff in, uh, there were a few times in this when I was I'm very you know (laughs) very tired because of my job. that I was kind of like, I was kind of nodding off a little bit and I had to at one point get up and go to the restroom just to make sure that I was, you know, aware of what was going on. <laughs> um, I, I, I appreciate what Scorsese was doing with it and how he was honoring the Osage people through everything. I do. I did. As I was going through it, I did kind of identify a couple scenes that weren't really necessary to move the plot. But I don't know about, you know, losing them necessarily. 
you know, and I, I'm always the one on the show that says, you know, I wish this was a series and it very well could have been, you know, an Apple series. I, I was kind of surprised they didn't pick this up as a, you know, as a, like a six part mini series or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my, my only thing. The only thing I didn't like about it was the length and the, the, the slowness of everything because of the fact that I, I, but, but that being said, I really, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate him taking the time to tell these people stories. Um, and believe it or not, they did cut down the amount of characters from the book. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, Lily, Gla- Lily Gladstone was the tops for me. I didn't, I didn't notice the length at all. I was so invested in this from from the, from the very beginning. It just it got it got inside of me and got under my skin. And uh, that opening scene where they're burying the peace pipe and they're also finding the oil, like the the get there's a like with with Scorsese and we're going to talk about this a little more. Uh, he has he offers you a keystone in every movie, a, a scene early on that will unlock what you should look for for the rest of the movie. Uh, in in Age of Innocence, it's about flowers, and uh, you know, a movie we're going to talk about later. There's a book that that is uh, an important part of the rest of the movie. Whether if, even if you don't know about the book, you can read a little bit about something and realize, oh, the book was the key. Uh, here, it's that peace pipe and that uh, that shift from the past to the present to the to the future uh, is is the key here that you're that you should be watching for the the end of peace and the coming of war and the, all of it. Uh, it, right there in that opening scene, he's just so great at that. He's so amazing at that, and it, it just from beginning to end, this movie just had me uh, from that. And it's just such a gorgeous movie too. On top of being you know deeply emotional, the the movie looks amazing. Every every scene, every inch of it, the the score is incredible as well. Uh, and that courtroom scene at the end, I mean, that could be the downfall of any movie is a is a cliched court scene, but. There's nothing cliche about that. The twists and turns of that DiCaprio, uh, you know, making the decisions that he makes, but that devastating moment when, when he's forced to be who he really is and and admit what really happened and what the look on, on Lily Gladstone's face is among the most devastating things I've seen in a movie ever. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I just, have you guys read the criticisms of um, Brendan Fraser? I haven't. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know why anybody would have a problem with him. Yeah, there was there was some. I don't. Of course, it was something on Twitter that somebody was like, "Oh, you know, they he overacted. And he was a ham, and he did this, and they should take away his Oscar." And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? He did exactly what he was supposed to do." Yeah, that character is supposed to grandstand. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the whole point of that character is that he knows he has nothing on his side. <laughs> he knows that it's all it's wrong. Uh, he's but he's a he's a sh- he's a shill. He's a shyster. He's a he's as much of a criminal as De Niro is. So of course yeah. he's going to to be that way. You want to take away his Oscar? I'm okay with that because the whale sucks. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be your reason, not this. Yeah. No. I mean, I more or less to agree with you guys on everything. I agree with Jeff. The, I think Lily Gladstone was the 
really the star of the movie and i think that was the intent too i mean it, you need and i you know say that leonardo DiCaprio is never your favorite in the movie i think that's also a strength of his i think it's good that he's not selfish enough to hog the screen and allows for someone else to shine and he cool. played his role the way he needed to uh i do believe they were both in love, even though the other stuff was going on. That's what clouded her judgment. I, because just right, she knew everything, but because she was in love, I feel like that's what prolonged her from uh, acting. And when she finally did act, you know, stuff started to, you know, go down. I got the. I, no, I was gonna say when you said that, that just I got the impression from her performance that she was someone who saw all her sisters and her, you know, everybody in love and happy and that's what she wanted and so she overlooked some of the stuff that she knew was going on but she made him wait you know it was she didn't fall for her stuff really on and then i do think eventually they started getting there and and even he i mean it's like he knew but he didn't know like he didn't want to know when he was you know poisoning her like you said uh because you know when he's in the courtroom it really feels like he's he thinks he's cleaned the slate he's admitted everything and then when she calls him out on that it almost looks like oh my god there's another lie just my to my wife that i was doing that uh <clears throat> yeah i don't know the whole thing i, I just I noticed the length, but I liked every second of it. If that makes sense, I could I could watch this in a half an hour increments, an hour increments, or three and a half, you know, whatever it had to be. On Quibi, yeah, I don't I don't need it shorter, but I could definitely like you could do this in seven half hour episodes, <laughs> or you know, yeah, uh, or watching it all the way through. Either way, I'm fine with it. Uh, Sean mentioned the score, that baseline thing that. Uh, changed a little bit every time uh i thought was really phenomenal really neat uh the whole thing is just well done and it's just he walks that fine line scorsese or and like with wolf of wall street i hated that movie because i could not i like i hated those guys so much and and like you said, if Lily Gladstone had died, this could have turned on for me and been a movie I actually hated because of how effective it was. But instead, the way it played out, because I hadn't read the book either, I obviously knew a little bit about the story, but not nearly enough uh, that it was able to enjoy it and figuring out what was going to happen. And uh, But how evil Robert De Niro's character is, because he's getting to know these people. He's joining their lives and it's i mean had he been the main character this would have been a tough one too especially if he'd gotten away with it completely uh which i guess is really not much different than the dude from wolf of wall street because he gets out too but <laughs> uh but he's the is the supporting character but oh my god that it's i don't want to say it's worse than the whole black wall street thing but that is you know you're just making a big explosion or one you know you're not having to get to know these people and uh i mean there's just a level of evil there that uh, sociopathic that i i just it really creeps and me the out insidiousness of it yes it's like yeah, i don't know usually it's like you can 
sit down and talk to somebody who you have differing opinions with and eventually you can have a conversation and get to at least get along with that person depending on the conversation but to sit there and once you kind of get to know somebody then to still screw them over like that and i know that exists in this world but that's a level of uh insane that that's almost worse than murder (laughs) in some ways i mean this was literally murder but Mm -hmm. uh I don't know. It, it it was just it was a fantastic character. Uh, DiCaprio's character was so complicated that, and I bought every second of it. No point. I could see why people would sit there and get annoyed that why why wouldn't you just leave? Well, she's not seeing what we're seeing. We're getting to see the ins and outs of both sides of the story. Uh, I don't know. I guess this is one of Scorsese's best. The deck is being stacked. Uh, for us and not for her. Right. Uh, she doesn't see. You know, she doesn't see him being a criminal. Uh, she doesn't see him. You know, do you know even poisoning her? She doesn't believe that he would do that. Uh, he. She wants to believe that this man actually loves her. And Lily Gladstone. You know, she's as smart as she is, and this is a smart character. Uh, she wants to. There's a lot of stuff that she chooses to believe about him specifically, and and those choices are are her. You know, are her downfall for a little while. Uh, but it's it's all it's all based in hope. That's the thing, and that's that's the, the insidiousness of hope in some ways. Like you you think that it, that that uh, you can trust somebody, and you hope that you can trust, and they invest this hope in De Niro's character, and uh, it doesn't. You know, he's a sociopath. He's a he's a criminal. He's just using them. Uh, you know, we're we're sold at this idea that maybe if you know if you sit down and you talk to somebody and get to know them. Maybe they'll. It'll be harder for them to hate you, and some people are just evil. And even if they know you, they can still look you. Yeah, dear. I described his character in my review as being a guy who can, you know, shake your hand with one hand and stab you with the other one. Like that's the the insidiousness of this character. He he's capable of giving you a hug, but while he's doing it, he's digging a knife into your ribs. Uh, and, and you know he's doing it. Yeah. It's, well, but everybody, but, that was the thing is he did a good job of explaining, well, these people are, they're, they're not healthy. They're not going to make it. So let's, let's carry on. And the, this, the money should go somewhere and we care about these people. So, you know, he, he's yeah. good at convincing characters like Leonardo DiCaprio's character to go along with it now. And they have to be a little bit bad too. I mean, he's literally right. hired, calling for murders, but he's making it in a way where the right person could buy into it and that's uh and then he's so quick to turn his back on anybody at any given moment it's uh i mean it was great to see him turn but then when he didn't turn i was just like this is starting to go off the rails in the wrong direction not off the rails but starting to head down the direction i don't want it to go Mm -hmm. uh i don't know and then even when he's just, he's sitting there knowing he's going to lose and just making playing the victim and making yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio feel. I mean, he already got him three or four times, and here he is one more time as a shot at turning him. I, I, it really is a great performance by De Niro, possibly even his best. Yeah, yeah really, truly. What else? Anything else? Or should we move on? All right, we can move on. All right. Do we want to do a top five or do we want to move on to the classic? 
Or do you um, skip the top five? I think we've talked for a while, so I think we can just go right to the classic, right? right. I mean, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, with I'm that. fine with that. After Hours. After Hours, uh, directed by Martin Scorsese and uh, starring Griffin Dunn, uh, is an incredible movie that I really didn't think I was going to like. I think I saw it like 40, I, I, I think I saw it like 35 years ago and, and really did not, uh, I didn't care for it at the time as a very young person. I didn't, I didn't like Griffin Dunn. I didn't know what the movie was going for and I kind of dismissed it and forgot about it. And then going back to it now, I bought the, uh, I bought the Criterion uh, uh, Blu-ray because it is such a, a remarkable film. I, uh, it's so clever and so unusual the way it sets up uh, this character, Griffin Dunn's character, to be essentially a man who's kind of created his own purgatory. He he lives in this sort of he just lives a life where he is this really dull job that he doesn't realize how dull it is. He's got this really dull life that uh, he's kind of locked himself in. And one night he just kind of thinks, well, I am kind of lonely. Maybe I'll go, you know, do something. And he goes out and do so- does something and finds, you know what? I'd rather be in purgatory. <laughs> and the journey back to uh, back to death essentially for this guy Uh, the the story goes that he's just he goes out uh, to a coffee shop he's reading uh, a book by Henry Miller a woman played by Rosanna Arquette uh, calls attention to that and says she really likes the book and uh, even quotes the book to him and they have a moment uh, she gives him a phone number to call to buy to buy something, but it's obviously you know it's a come on for both of them. You know she wants him to call her. He does, and then maybe she doesn't want him around. <laughs> she, uh, there's a lot of really funny, uh, just funny dark things where this guy, you know, is thinking one thing and another thing is happening. It happens to him constantly. Uh, Linda Fiorentino plays an artist in the movie who is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in ways that are just not expect you wouldn't expect to be funny. There's so many things in this movie that just get a get a laugh because they're so dark and so. I guess it, it's the violation of of the of the social code. You know the things you think are supposed to happen, the ways that people are supposed to act. Uh, they they just refuse to, <laughs> and I really I really do love that about this movie. The uh, the book uh, I think it's called uh, Tropic of Cancer is the keystone to the entire movie. And I didn't know that uh, until I, I was reading about, uh, I started reading about the book because I was like, well, Scorsese doesn't include things in his movies without a purpose. And so I decided to look up some quotes. And uh, specifically, I wanted to know about the quote that Roseanne Arquette uh, mentions in the movie. And what I did was like, oh, this this book is about our main character. <laughs> this is, uh this this is not a book in the ordinary sense of the word. No, this is a prolonged insult, a gob of spit in the face of art, a kick in the pants to God, man, destiny, time, love, beauty, and what you will. That is the one of the lines from the movie, the one that she quotes. And movie this movie is a prolonged insult to Griffin's character over and over again. The movie is about just simply insulting his emptiness. How what an empty human being he is. How self-involved he is he's so self-involved and so egotistical he doesn't realize he doesn't ever listen to anyone uh and he's only interested in the things that he wants and he misses things that could be important there is a conversation that he has with Catherine o'hara's character where she she kind of randomly says to him i i drive a mr softy truck and i think the reason that happens is we're we're in this sort of conversation we're in his movie we're in his head 
And I think he's missed most of the conversations that he, he has had with her because he's so thinking about what he wants. And we're in, we're in his orbit. I think there was a whole conversation that we're having that she was having with him that he doesn't remember. And I think that, that, that level of detail that Scorsese layers in that perhaps this guy's just not listened to anybody this entire night because he's such an egotist uh, that that's why it seems so disjointed when he talks to people. They, he's, he's just not paying attention. I, I just, I adore the little details. Uh, <laughs> I've lived out my melancholy youth. I don't give a fuck anymore what's behind me or what's ahead of me. I'm healthy, incurably healthy, no sorrows, no regrets, no past, no future. The present is enough for me day by day today. And that, again, is so indicative of this character, his little purgatory place that he's created for himself where he doesn't have to listen to anybody. He doesn't have to do anything but do his job. And that's it. <laughs> that's his little sanctuary where he is left alone only with his thoughts. That's what he wants, and that's you know that's where he'll live out his days. Yeah, I, uh, I this movie gave me anxiety, but at the same time with the comedy that worked in, it, it just worked. I wasn't expecting to like it only because we had started doing more over the last what five since Josh left. Really, uh, we were doing more Scorsese. And, but we weren't going to the obvious ones. We were going to like Cape Fear and uh, movies like that. And they in the uh, I don't know the Nicolas Cage one, Bring Out the Dead. And we weren't liking them as much as we remembered. And right. I was kind of expecting that from this. And then the and then they just kept growing on me, and I'm or just kept going. And I'm like, this is so. This is actually really good, and. Uh, you know, it's not you know Killers of the Flower Moon or even Goodfellas or Taxi Driver. It's its own Scorsese movie, uh, but it is definitely a blind spot that I didn't know I have. It's I, I was kind of shocked at how much I liked it. Jeff, did you see it? Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, I watched um, part of it last night and part of it in the car today, uh, and. I always got this one like in my head. I got this mixed up with uh, something wild, hmm. and I don't know why. Um, I think maybe it was just the the wacky cover art for it or whatever. Um, my first takeaway was the cast. Mm -hmm. Like everybody in this movie, this was before most of them were really famous and. You know, especially like Catherine O'Hara, mm -hmm. just, I mean, a lot of his, his movies tend to have themes and this was just, this was the farce that you don't expect from him. You mm -hmm. know, if you see something like Raging Bull or Taxi Driver or Killers of the Flower Moon, you wouldn't expect him to do a madcap farce. And that's kind of what, you know, this is, he's, he's constantly meeting people who are going to just completely they could completely help him but he just has to fuck it up somehow right <laughs> you know and it's and it it is a hell of his own making because he just he could look i i have walked from soho to 96.3 you know it's not pleasant especially in the rain however you can do it and if he had just done that he would have been fine but no, 
He's got to, you know, he's got to make all these poor decisions. Uh, it was a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I expected something a little more fun, a la something wild, but you know, Rosanna Arquette's character killing herself. I, I mean, <laughs> I never, I did not expect that because she's top build. You know, I expected her throughout the movie to kind of be that, you know, that one that keeps getting away. Um, and when he wrote dead body and on a piece of paper and slapped it on the, the lamppost, I was like, yeah. Oh my God, that's the, that was my single favorite moment of the movie when he just wrote dead body and slapped it on a thing with an arrow. Um, well, the whole scene where he's trying to find out if she's a burn victim or not. It's yeah. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, I mean, it's back to the, the ego, the arrogance or whatever, the uh, narcissism that his character, I mean, it's a great, one of his, the first scenes where he really knocks that out. And I don't know. It, it just, it's so frustrating. Cause you just want him to do the right thing. Like, why do you care? You can't tell she's a burned victim, so I don't know. It's so, it's so funny too because they, 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 he underlines this brilliantly with a, a scene between uh, Griffin Dunn and Linda Fiorentino, where he's about to reveal that he has this big, you know, traumatic memory about about burn victims having been in a burn unit as a child and having uh, not been a burn victim himself, but having been in the burn unit for reasons, uh, and he's about to reveal that, and she falls asleep. <laughs> and then we're just left to kind of imagine maybe this guy has a trauma or maybe he's just an asshole and really the movie is just so clever in in setting him up to to maybe he's not wrong but but he's absolutely wrong i mean you don't don't like him but at the same time you want him to do what's right you want him to get out of the scenario he's in i don't know it's a weird uh (laughs) weird how scorsese pulls that together it's incredible It, it really is incredible in that way i because <laughs> uh, this character, he's so deep. I think he set out to make like a t- like a farce because he's a director for hire on this. Griffin Dunn and his producing partners were the ones who uh, found this material and and got the screenplay ready and were ready to make this movie. I think they they had actually settled on Tim Burton to direct this movie, and then uh, uh, they then Scorsese because Scorsese wasn't available initially, and then he became available, and Tim Burton was like, "You need Scorsese, take him." Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm uh, so glad Tim Burton didn't do this, <laughs> but uh, it, it, he's a director for hire here, which is not a typical thing for him. And I think he sets out to make the movie that they were thinking of making. And then he makes it a Scorsese movie. He, you know, he comes up with the Tropic of Cancer thing and he's like, I'm going to proceed from that and and kind of seize on that and create this character uh, based off of that uh, and and put him through the, these these very unique paces to deconstruct this this person who is uh, this intensely self-involved human being. And the whole point is trying to help this guy realize how, how desperately self-involved he is, and he never will. And that's his hell, that he doesn't understand that being so self-focused and being so much in his own head is why, you know, he's vaguely miserable. Well, and I think at the beginning, when he's trying to explain to... Um, Bronson Pinchot, like what the job is that he's training for. Mm-hmm. I think that that, that also sets it up where his life is so mundane that 
it's it's his job is easy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to think too hard. So he kind of gives up thinking in his in his daily life. He just goes and does it by rote. And I really feel like that was the that was the piece that I took away from it was if you're not used to you know doing something out of the ordinary once in a while then this night which is not quite honestly I've I've had weirder nights than this <laughs> you know I this could this is a manageable night if you ever lived in New York City uh, but the fact that he every step of the way he just does the wrong thing that to me is just like you deserve this. Oh, he so does. But I want you to get out of it, you know? <laughs> and I think that's that's Griffin done in a way. You know, like, say what you will about the movie, Who's That Girl? Mm-hmm. Everything in that movie that happens to him is because he does the same. It's like this, you know? He, he just trusts Madonna in that movie, you know, just enough. And <laughs> I I don't know. He's He has that that kind of hapless thing that he has going on here except there's no external um like in who's that girl there's an external force which is madonna's nikki finn here he it's an internal force of him just being a fucking idiot (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting too about this movie is that we're trained as as um moviegoers movie watchers to to identify with the main character. We're supposed to like see the main character and this is our avatar for, for the rest of the movie. And uh, he's not likable. He's not a likable person. He's, he, he's a bit of a loser. The opening scene kind of paints him as you know, like Bronson Pinchot's talking about, I don't want to do this job forever. And, and he's that he's left to look around going, you know, I, I guess I am kind of alone and you know, this isn't entirely fulfilling. And that's kind of what leads him uh, to 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 down the path towards what's going to happen in the rest of the movie. But it's, it's so interesting to see that he's he, he is not a likable main character, and and it's a a deconstruction as much of that archetype of the idea that you're supposed to love the main character as much as it is a just mm-hmm. a movie about this main character. Yeah. Anything else on After Hours, or should we move on? Yeah, it's interesting that, that there's a there's a weird similarity in what I just said there. He did the same thing with kind of with Alice in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, where he uh, she's a good character and she's a good person, not like him. But in terms of how he toys with the idea of, of how you identify with a main character and how you deconstruct a main character in a way, uh, he does that similar thing in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And it's equally fucking brilliant. I think next time we don't have any movies to talk about, we just kind of talk about Scorsese from like right after Raging Bull up until Goodfellas. Because <laughs> that's a very unique era uh, where he's kind of Martin Scorsese, but he's also not the Martin Scorsese we're going to know. Uh, and he's trying different styles. He's doing different things. And uh, for better or worse. Uh, but anyway, we don't got to do that right now because it's getting late. Uh, anything else on Martin Scorsese or After Hours. Jeff, uh, did you want to mention anything about uh, Alice and Live Here Anymore? I know you've uh, you've had a love for that film as well. 
you know what? Why don't we let's save that and do that as a classic sometime? Um, just because I think it deserves a longer conversation. No, I, I, we've done it as a classic. Well, but I didn't watch. Oh. We, I, we, I didn't watch when we did it either, though. Oh, you, so, okay. <laughs> I think it's just you and Josh. <laughs> but I, so. I wrote like a fifteen hundred word essay. Yeah, word, yeah, I have thousand words essay on it. <laughs> either that, or I Wikipedia it and pretended to watch it. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying I do that a lot, but I have done it. <laughs> uh, nineteen ninety three. You got Nightmare Before Christmas, Rudy, and Fatal Instinct. What are you watching for the show? We did uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and Fatal Instinct. Thank and, God. Uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, it's fine. It's it's you know, it's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. I get what people like about it. It's not for me, but uh, I think it's lasted in the culture for for a good enough reason, and that it has a strong aesthetic to it, and uh, it has enough about it that's that's likable. But it makes sense. I don't hate the fact that it has a cult. Uh, like I might, you know, resent other movies that have a cult that don't probably deserve it. Yeah. So there's that. A movie that deserves a cult audience, though, is Fatal Instinct. Fatal Instinct is goddamn brilliant. How people have been sleeping on Fatal Instinct all these years, I have no idea. There's a lot of hatred for this movie, and it makes no sense to me. Uh, at least there was in 1993. Critics hated it. Oh, uh, it's of course they did. <laughs> It's directed by Carl Reiner and uh, stars Amon DeSante as a man who is both a detective and a lawyer. So early on, you see him arresting a criminal and then representing that same criminal in court the next day, which is very funny. Uh, the jokes are so simple. Like, the jokes are so simple, but Carl Reiner sets up the jokes so incredibly well that they're still funny. Like, in the opening credits, you see Clarence Clemens' name from the E Street Band and the legendary saxophonist. And uh, I said to... Uh, to Amy and MJ, like, oh, he's going to be playing uh, his saxophone behind Sean Young's character because that's what you know. Characters in in noir mysteries like this always have a saxophone uh, soundtrack, and there he is. You see, as soon as you see Sean Young, you see Clarence Clemens right behind him, and I still laugh. <laughs> I knew it was coming. It was. It still made me laugh because it's so well done. Uh, there's so many great jokes in this movie. There's uh, a character played by Christopher McDonald who gets murdered. And the, the cops are ruling it a suicide, even though he's pinned to the wall, facing the wall with a drill in his back. <laughs> Draw the chalk outline around him as he's pinned to the wall. It's very funny. All the cops are slipping in his blood. <laughs> Keep falling down in the background while they're having a very serious conversation. It's just it's all stuff you see in any other spoof movie, but it's just well done. And Carl Ryder's a genius. And I think the this movie gets overshadowed, obviously, by there being three other really good parody movies in 1993, which is a great year for parodies, for spoofs, because you've got, you know, Robin Hood, uh, you've got the Robin Hood one, uh, Men in Tights, you've got uh, Hot, Hot Shot Part 2, and you've got uh, Loaded Weapon, which are all three really great, and I think this one gets overshadowed by all three of those, uh, for whatever reason, but it's absolutely brilliant. I also think that people just underestimate Armand Asante. he's not a He's not a comedic actor. He's not a guy you would think of as having a, a typical comedy background. So I think that kind of holds the movie back a little bit. Uh, he's playing a Michael Douglas variation, and I think he does a great job with it. He's very, I thought he was very funny, but I thought the whole thing was very funny. Well, yeah, but I mean, we didn't, Leslie Nielsen wasn't a character or a comedy guy at first, and neither was Charlie Sheen. So it was a, I don't know. There's just, like you said, I think it's just been overcrowded over the last really a decade long of great spoof spoof movies 
but that doesn't make it not funny. I'm just glad we didn't talk about Rudy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we were never going to talk about Rudy. <laughs> we will no talk way. about Rudy. There was never going to be a way to get Amy or MJ to watch Rudy. <laughs> Piece of shit. All right. Next week, we've got Priscilla, the Marsh King's daughter. What happens later? There were two other movies that have left my list. A Quiz Lady uh, with on Quiz Hulu, Lady. Aquafina. Oh, and Quiz Lady, and then the Netflix one, Rustin. Rustin with Coleman Domingo, who's getting a Best Actor kind of buzz. Excellent. Well, after watching Killers of the Flower Moon, they she better get nominated, and so better De Niro. Uh, our classic is Quiz Show next week, and yeah, that's our show. I'm assuming you guys want to wrap it up and call it a night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably should. All right. All right. Thanks for hanging out late, guys. Sorry I took so long. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See you. Bye. Bye.